Hello, this is Rob Lott. And this is Chris Fleming, and welcome to another edition of Health Affairs This Week, the podcast where health affairs editors talk about health policy issues and the health policy news of the week. So, Chris, I thought we could get started today with just a few quick highlights from the past few days, uh, some headlines. The Omicron variant of COVID-19 continues to spread pretty quickly around the world, and scientists and researchers are following that pretty closely. Also of note, Pfizer uh, released some positive results from its studies of uh, a COVID-19 therapy, uh, which um, aims to prevent serious illness for people with the infection. That pill is currently under review by the FDA, and we expect some news on that hopefully pretty soon. And on Wednesday, Health Affairs published uh, the annual report from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, uh, reporting out the national health expenditures for 2020. This is the big annual top-line report that we get every year about health spending, and it had a pretty big annual top-line number this year. It did indeed, Rob. I mean, this is the, as, as many people will know, this is, these are the numbers from the CMS Office of the Actuary, which are considered the gold standard in terms of health spending numbers. Uh, they reported that U.S. healthcare spending went up 9.7%, reaching $4.1 trillion in 2020. That's a much faster rate than the 4.3% increase seen in 2019. Now, there's you know an explanation, as, and many people will know what's going on already. The acceleration in 2020 was due to a 36% increase in federal expenditures for healthcare occurring largely in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And in fact, private insurance spending uh, and individual out-of-pocket costs actually declined. Now, uh, this is, uh, as we mentioned, the look-back numbers for 2020. Uh, Keep an eye out. uh, Health Affairs also every year publishes uh, the uh, projections, the health spending projections from the CMS actuaries for the next decade. So keep an eye out for those numbers to appear in health affairs in the future. Thanks, Chris. Um, What I really uh, was hoping you and I could talk about here today was some news coming out of health affairs itself. Um, And that is the rebranding. You might say it's the reinvention of health affairs blog under a new banner, health affairs forefront. For our regular readers of the the blog and for our listeners here today, um, I uh, want everyone to know we're really excited about this, um, that Health Affairs Forefront really is going to stay the same in terms of the content that that you've long gotten to know under Health Affairs blog. And our mission is the same as well, to create a space for rigorous insight related to health policy research ideas, current policy events. And um, our aim is for now Forefront, Health Affairs Forefront, to remain as agile and timely and flexible as people have uh, known Health Affairs uh, blog to be. This will continue to be a reliable source for health policy leadership and the health policy community, a place where government officials announce new initiatives, um, policy ideas are vetted, thought leaders provide up-to-date and curated analysis on the leading edge of health policy. So, Rob, you've done a a good uh, job, I think, of laying out 
what we value in Health Affairs Blog to date and what's going to stay the same uh, as this uh, publication becomes Health Affairs Forefront. Uh, so maybe you could talk a little bit about like why why the change then? What's what will be new uh, in the rebranded Health Affairs Forefront? Yeah, fair enough. So after 15 years, um, you know, the blog has has really grown and evolved and become a platform for uh, rigorous analysis and um, intensive uh, editorial review and development. And um, we felt like the name blog just didn't really do justice to everything that was taking place in this space. Uh, And so uh, that's a a big part of the rebrand. But also this shift allowed us to take some steps uh, within our publication platform to make the content a lot more discoverable and accessible. So, for example, now all former and upcoming Forefront articles will be deposited in Crossref, which is a nonprofit organization that collects article content and metadata uh, from publishers uh, and makes those connections to scholarly um, uh, researchers. Also, um, all the content, uh, old and new, will be indexed both in uh, Google News, as always, but also Google Scholar. And um, I think in general, folks will notice that the content's a lot easier to navigate and uh, discover. Um, And uh, over time, hopefully in just the next few weeks, um, all of the content that's currently under the Health Affairs uh, blog banner will be migrated and integrated into the new uh, Forefront platform. Yep. And uh, I will say that this this is certainly a big event. It's the also... Uh, been at, I won't say the end because we feel like this is a beginning, but it's certainly come after a long journey. Uh, the blog uh, actually just celebrated its 15th anniversary on October 5th of this year. Uh, I feel like you know I've, I've shared with with a bunch of folks uh, one of my favorite quotes uh, that comes from the Sun Off Sun Also Rises by Hemingway uh, when uh, one of the characters asks another how did you go bankrupt? The answer comes back first gradually, then suddenly. And I feel like that describes a lot of human uh, enterprises. And I think it describes the blog because, you know, on the one hand, there's been a lot of gradual. I mean, we've come a long way uh, since we started, uh, you know, back 15 years ago with an introductory post by Health Affairs uh, founding editor, John Eigelhart, uh, then a series of posts uh, responding to Michael Porter and Elizabeth Kiesberg's uh, book, Redefining Healthcare. Uh, and, you know, back then it was pretty much just me <laughs> and a keyboard and an email address. And uh, uh, we really, over the course of those 15 years, uh, you know, we, we, we started doing the, with Tim Jost and now Katie Keith, we started doing uh, the following the ACA uh, feature. Uh, and it's really, I think, been a, a great vehicle to uh, be able to to give people uh, an opportunity to contribute to the health policy discussion and, you know, maybe a more interactive, quicker way than is afforded by the sort of typical 4,000 word uh, peer reviewed uh, journal article. Uh, and I think it really, in many ways, the blog really became even more valuable when we unfortunately entered the world of COVID, you know, because then, uh, you know, think trends that had you you know previously taken years uh, would take weeks you know things like changes in in uh, uh, telemedicine or uh, you know decarceration from prisons 
and you know the the blog was a great vehicle for people to comment uh, in a way uh, that was was timely and relevant and really was able to impact uh, policy. I think, of course, uh, over time. Uh, the research articles came and were really important in saying like, okay, what's working? What are the results? Uh, so I think there's a great synergy that that went on. Uh, and and so, you know, this speaking of the blog of now forefront, I think it'd be interesting to talk maybe uh, since we're at the end of 2021 about some of the interesting blogs uh, that have we published over the course of the last year. Uh, maybe you could get us started by mentioning, you know, one of your favorites that you'd like to talk about. I'm going to point to uh, one of my favorite um, uh, articles from uh, from last year that ran on Health Affairs, then Health Affairs blog, um, and that's uh, a piece titled "The Workforce for Non-Police Behavioral Health Crisis Response Doesn't Exist. We Need to Create It," uh, by author Jennifer Carroll uh, at NC State uh, and a group of co-authors from a number of other institutions, and uh, this piece. Uh, was really fascinating. It builds actually on an article that we published in our Leading to Health series a, a few months before that, that highlighted um, recent and growing efforts to institute exactly what is described in the title, behavioral health crisis response. That's the idea of sending um, experts who are not police to emergency situations that um, uh, for people maybe undergoing various uh, mental health crises. And um, the the realization or the recognition is that um, sending police to situations like that doesn't always help um, and can, in fact, increase potential uh, risk for, uh, for conflict or violence. A number of communities are creating these new rapid um, behavioral health crisis response systems. And uh, with that taking place, the author's highlight the fact that there is not uh, a great mechanism in place for that workforce to develop. And so they offer and propose a number of recommendations for growing that workforce. In my mind, it's sort of a classic health affairs blog or now forefront where folks sort of pick up on a conversation that's already taking place, identify a potential uh, thorny policy problem within that debate, and then offer some steps forward. Uh, so uh, I recommend it to our listeners. Chris, what do you have? Well, Rob, I mean, there's there's a, a ton of pieces that, that I could mention, but the one I'll pick is a piece that we ran on August 12th by uh, Chiquita Brooks-Lashure, who's the administrator of the uh, uh, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, uh, along with three authors, three co-authors also from CMS, including Liz Fowler. Uh, Liz is the head of the Innovation Center at CMS. And in fact, that uh, center, the Innovation Center, was the topic of the post. Uh, the uh, center was created uh, in the Affordable Care Act a decade ago uh, as a vehicle to uh, conduct experiments to move us towards a more value-oriented healthcare system where we lower costs and hopefully improve quality. And the uh, since the Biden administration had come into uh, office in January, they had been uh, looking at the uh, sort of a decade's worth of, of experiments uh, that the center had been conducting and trying to figure out what lessons we could draw for them and how we should move forward. And this uh, August 12th post was the unveiling of the new CMS strategy uh, for the, for the uh, Innovation Center. Uh, the post talked about 
uh, lessons like the importance of, of centering equity in, in all of the experiments and not conducting too many conflicting experiments, uh, uh, whether experiments should be voluntary or mandatory. Uh, they looked at the lessons uh, and then they, uh, they, they went ahead and said, okay, now we've learned uh, all of this. We, how do we move forward? And I was really happy that we were able to run this post uh, you know, first because I love the uh, the fact that Health Affairs Blog was able to present uh, to readers this uh, new strategy that was being unveiled by one of the the crucial agencies in the health policy world, uh, and I also more broadly was was thrilled because uh, over the course of the last four years during the Trump administration, we had published uh, several pieces by uh, that administration CMS administrator Seema Verma. Uh, where she had talked about uh, what their initiatives. And, and I think it's really important that health affairs is seen by all sides uh, as a trusted place where people can come, uh, not just you know, government officials, but, but advocates, you know, researchers, where you can come and, and be heard, uh, treated fairly, and reach uh, the health policy audience that you want to reach. All right. Well, uh, congratulations, Chris, on that and on the big transition for Health Affairs Blog. Here's to 15 more years and hopefully many more beyond that. Thanks to all our listeners. Stay tuned for future podcasts in 2022 and uh, recommend it to a friend. Leave a review. This is the last episode for 2021. Stay tuned in 2022. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Rob, and and to listeners, uh, have a good new year, and remember to uh, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.